Testament. Nehemiah chapter 5, right before the book of Job and Esther. Again, we're just so thankful for you to come. If you don't know me, my name is Jake Brantwater. I'm one of the elders and pastors here. And we're just so thankful that you're here on this morning. Like Ron said, early morning, 9 o'clock uh, service. But the beautiful thing is you beat everybody to lunch after this. So it's a great, uh, great trade-off. So Nehemiah chapter 5 is where we're going to read. I'm just going to read verses 1 through 5 as we continue in our series that we've called Restored. last two weeks we've talked about the attacks of the enemy and how we navigate that space and this morning we look at a different type of attack an attack that I think is very common for us probably an attack the majority of us may be navigating but Nehemiah chapter 5 starting in verse 1 it said this now there arose a great outcry of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers for there were those who said, With our sons and our daughters we are many. So let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. There were also those who said, We are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our houses to get grain because of the famine. And there were those who said, We have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. Number five, verse 5, it says this, Now our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers and our children are as their children. Yet... We are forcing our sons and daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but it is not in our power to help it for the other men of our fields and our vineyards. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you again for this morning. Lord, we thank you for your revealed word. Lord, I pray that we would just, uh, Lord, humble ourselves underneath the truths of your word. God, I, I pray that in a, a world of relativity, Lord, a world that hates absolutes. God, I pray that we would rest under the absolute truths that are spoken. Lord, not of my words, but of the words that you provide us. God, I just pray your blessing over all of us, Lord, as we come in with so many different things, burdens, Lord, fears, doubts, whatever it might be. Lord, that we know that we're here this morning because you've invited us here into your presence. Lord, and I pray that we would find joy and peace in knowing that we're exactly where we need to be today. Lord, we love you. God, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' holy name. Amen. So like I said, this morning we are in a, the middle of a series uh, called Restored. And, you know, a lot of times, I've said this a lot of times, when you come into a series several weeks in, it can kind of feel like walking into a movie halfway through. Uh, but just to give you a little rundown, what's going on in this situation is that the people of Israel have returned back to their homeland. This is historical text. Uh, they have returned back to their homeland after it has just been ravaged by the enemy. They spent 70 years in captivity. They left that captivity, came back to ruin, lived in ruins for several more years until a man named Nehemiah heard that his people were living in ruins and he took it upon himself to step into that broken space and to begin to see it restored. He said, this nation is too great. These people have too much purpose to navigate and to live in ruins constantly, to live in the mess that they themselves created 
But the beautiful thing about it is not only Nehemiah, this man who had interest in these people and seeing their restoration, but also the God of the universe wanting to see that restoration happen in the same way. And so the application for us has been that we all have space in our life, specifically more than likely within the the spiritual aspect of our life and our relationship with the Lord or, or our relationships with those around us that are in desperate need of restoration, that are in desperate need of rebuilding. Because broken down walls equal vulnerability, right? Broken down walls equal weakness. Broken down walls equal uh, a space at which the enemy can find his way in and manipulate and destroy and break what's there. And so this, this study has really been all about how God leans into the broken spaces of our own lives and begins to institute some restoration. And so the last two weeks, the focus has been on the enemy that is outside. We talked about the enemy uh, f- uh, making plans, uh, how they were go- going to accomplish attacking the people of Israel. And so the last two weeks, our conversation has been about uh, how to prepare for the opposition and how we navigate a space where the enemy, and when we talk about the enemy, really the enemy can be a lot of different things that tries to attack at uh, the joy, attack at the life that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ and how we navigate that space in our Christian life as we navigate that space as as husbands and wives and as students and as brothers and sisters in Christ. And so the last two weeks has been a focus on the enemy that is outside. Well, this morning, the text that we'll read, and I know the beginning of that text seems a little confusing, but what we're seeing happen is we're seeing an attack from within. It's not an unknown enemy anymore. It's an enemy that they know. It's an internal enemy. It's an enemy that's, that's their own people. And so what's happening is, is that there's a famine that's happening. There's all these bad situations that are happening, all these stresses that are happening to the people that aren't necessarily because of the enemy that's on the outside, but there's just, it's just circumstances. And listen, the reality is that sometimes we find ourselves in situations in our life that are just bad circumstances, right? And those bad circumstances create stress. And that stress typically will cause us to react. And a lot of times, unless we're prepared for it, that reaction is not a positive reaction. And so what we see here in the text, and you heard some words like enslavery and and, and mortgaging and all these things, what is happening is because of the circumstance that is going on and the stress that these people are experiencing, they're starting to lash out at each other. And not only are they lashing out at each other, but they're, they're abusing each other. They're taking advantage of each other. And so what we're seeing is not only can there be an enemy that's on the outside of everything that we do, but there can also be an enemy from within. And so what we're seeing happen is we're seeing this attack the, the, uh, from within as there's this famine, as there's this shortage of food, there's this stressful situation that is instigating this uh, conflict that what is happening is that the people are creating debt because there are people that have and there are people that don't have. And so the people that have are taking advantage of the people that don't have, not to a point of just trying to help, but to the point at which they are benefiting from it even more and abusing the people who are below And so they're creating debt that required the people to work for them, uh, taking their money, taking their land, and even to the point where they're, you know, and it was a common practice in this time to have an arrangement that was called bond, a bond slave or a bond servant. And so in that, it it was a mutual agreement that where if I could work for you to work off a debt, then I would have that time frame of work, 
and then at the end of the work, I would move on. Well, what was happening is, and this was a common agreement, uh, and those people were treated very well within that common agreement, what was happening was it was moving more from a bond-servant relationship to a slave relationship where they were actually oppressing and abusing these people to the point where they were taking from them and, and mistreating them and, and, and causing more debt just to, uh, and, and we'll read later on, they were adding interest to it, and so they were just benefiting off of other people. And so what is happening is, is that as they've been working towards last week, last two weeks, we talked about them rebuilding the walls, trying to uh, sure up their defenses and that they would have the, their tool in one hand and their weapon in the other. And you know what? With all that was attacked, those attacks from the outside, the work never stopped. But what, we'll read, what we read here is that when the conflict became internal, this is the first time that the work actually stopped. This is the first time that the work actually stops. You know, some of the greatest attacks that the enemy does in our life is when he attacks from within, right? When he attacks and, and uses people in our family, when he uses people in our friend groups, when he uses people within our churches, when he uses people at, on our teams, when he uses people within our own group to instigate an attack. And that's what's happening here. These people, they're, they're, they're at each other's throats. They're attacking and fighting amongst each other. And so within that, the work is stopped. We read in verse 1 that he says, Now there arose a great outcry. Listen, chapter 4 ended in victory. The work was happening. And as chapter 5 begins, we see that the work has stopped because there's internal conflict. And so... Not only is there the stressors of the situation that has instigated the conflict, but then there's also this other element, this element that for many, for all of us, the, the, the equal, the, the common playing ground for all of us that we navigate within our, our flesh, our nature, that instigates internal conflict amongst each other, amongst people. Because listen, none of us are ever safe from conflict with each other. Like, like you have people that you have conflict with, and you even have people that are your people that you have conflict with. And the thing about it is that when we have those conflicts, there is no space for progress. We can't grow personally. We can't make strides personally. We can't grow as a group, as a team, as a, as a, as a, a, a joint uh, group of people to accomplish anything when there is conflict among us. And not only is it the stressors of the environment, but also playing off of our nature what instigates Internal conflict is selfishness. Selfishness is the greatest weapon of the people. When we say selfishness, maybe we could say it as pride also. Where we have placed ourselves at the center of everything that happens. Where everything that I do, it's not only wanting things my way, but expecting everybody else to want it my way. See, the thing about it is, for all of us, by nature, because as we are created, as we have inherited this sin nature that we have, this fleshly nature, that what, what, what we do, what we are, what we have is this selfish, prideful mentality that we live in that means putting ourselves at the center of everything and insisting on getting what I want when I want it. And what that eventually leads us to when we are driven by pride and selfishness is it leads us to either exploiting others for our own personal gain or stepping on top of others to get to where we want to be. 
which ends in where they are, abuse, exploitation, taking advantage of people. And so when we're driven by our own desires for our own self-interest and our own gains and our own glory, inevitably it leads us to destroy and attack each other. And the beautiful thing about the gospel and the beautiful thing about Jesus is that the gospel pushes us towards unity, where the enemy pushes us towards isolation and pride. Romans 14, 19, it says, So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. And so I love that it uses that word upbuilding right there because as we've been talking about building these walls of defense to fight off the enemy, the thing we have to understand is that if we're not leaning into a process of constant upbuilding within the unity of our own group or of our own people, and, and when he's speaking here, he's speaking of the people of God, and so when we're talking about that, maybe even the Christian faith, but really even on more of the on-the-ground level of our family or our friend unit or the, the team or squad that you're a part of, that when there's disunity there and it's not being purposefully built up, then it creates a, a breeding ground for internal conflict, which in turn robs us of any power, any ability to take strides forward in growth. Listen, me and my family cannot grow if me and my wife are at constant conflict with each other. You know, the same thing within the space at which you live, where teamwork and unity are vital that when internal conflict rests there, growth and progress cannot happen. And so I believe Nehemiah lays out some things for us that I want us to learn. And I've just got one point for you this morning. And the people who know me know that that one point could go on for 30 minutes. But just one point, And it would be this. That Nehemiah gives us some, some instructions on breaking the bondage of conflict. Because conflict is within itself binding. There are chains connected to conflict, internal conflict with people that if we don't deal with them, then we will never truly be free. We will never truly be able to take strides. And so we see this starting in verse 6 where Nehemiah communicates how he responded. And I believe that how Nehemiah responds is a great lesson for us in how we deal with the conflicts that we have with people. The first thing is this, in verse 6 and verse 7, he says, I was very angry. And then he says in verse 7, I took counsel with myself. I took counsel with myself. The first thing is that he did this. He acknowledged the way it made him feel. Listen, when people do things to us, when they disappoint us, uh, when they come up against us, when they, when, when, when they do things that we feel like takes advantage of us or don't meet the standard that we intend or whatever it might be, When someone we love or care about is caught up in the conflict with us, we feel mistreated, it'll stir up an emotional response within us. And that's natural. And I love that that's the first place that Nehemiah acknowledges. He says, I was very angry. And listen, we have to, that's where we have to begin when we acknowledge these things is to understand how we feel about the situation that we're in. How we feel about the space at which we're navigating. If we're not being honest about how we feel, then we'll never face the things that we need to face and deal with the things that we need to deal with. Listen, we are people by nature who like to suppress, right? 
We get upset. We get angry. Uh, we, we get disappointed. Uh, we get afraid. We get doubtful. Uh, we don't like people to see us vulnerable. We don't like people to see us struggling with things. So what do we do? We suppress. We hide. We push away. We don't want anybody to see it. We don't want anybody to know it. But I, lo- I love it. several times throughout the space of the Bible, God brings us into the space of just honesty. Like be straight up. You know, and, and, and in reality, the church hasn't always done a good job of creating a space where you feel like you can come in and be honest about your struggles. But that is exactly the space that God intends for us to constantly be in. It's not coming into a space where we have to pretend like we have it all together or that we don't have any conflicts or we don't have any problems or we don't have any issues. No, God says bring all that junk into the gathering, into the space of God's people. Lay it at his feet and let's begin to navigate that together. Let's begin to cultivate a relationship of honesty and vulnerability where we can navigate the spaces where we struggle, the spaces where we have issues, the spaces that are keeping us from taking good strides of progress as we move forward. So the main thing, the first thing is to be honest about how we feel. And I love that he went from being honest about his anger, being honest about how the situation made him feel, that he's seeing his people at conflict with each other, taking advantage of each other, being selfish, being prideful. What does he do? Nehemiah gives us a good instruction on where to begin. is to reflect and to evaluate the circumstances. But then it says that he took counsel with himself. And so what that means is that Nehemiah took a moment to remove himself from it and to just do a little bit of a self-inventory. Like, let me, let me just get to myself and let me just consider this. Let me think. And listen, in that, we aren't always great at that, right? Especially in the space of, of social media that we live in and, 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 and communication. Like, we get angry about something. Everybody's going to know about it pretty quick, right? It's going to be on Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok, you know, Facebook, MySpace, whatever. Y'all don't even know about MySpace. But listen, we are not, we are not conditioned these days to not put all our feelings out there in an instant. We are not conditioned to consider. And that's what he's saying. He was angry, but what did he do? He said before he said anything, before he did anything, before he communicated with anybody, he took a second. He took a second. He said, I I, I took a second with myself. Listen, this is vital before we begin to engage with conflict with people. Before we begin to step into a space where we're frustrated, before we step into a space where we need to deal with something, where we've been uh, abused, where we've been, uh, where we've been, feel like we've been used, where we feel like we've uh, been, uh, you know, taken advantage of, where, we, where we're upset, where we're frustrated, that we can't just rush off into it. Because the thing is, a lot of times when we enter into those spaces with that anger, without trying to do something with it, then we end up reacting in emotion. Which typically, what do we do after the fact? We think to ourselves, dang, I shouldn't have said that, right? We think to ourselves, I should not have done that. I should have not have, I shouldn't have treated them that way. 
And so then it creates a new thing that we have to do that it requires us to lay down our pride is then we have to apologize, right? And then a lot of us, we don't like to apologize, so what do we do? We just continue to allow these things to build up in between us and that individual, that person that we love and care about, or that person in the space that we're working in together. And then what happens is the conflict's never resolved, and because the conflict's never resolved, we're, la we're locked into the bondage of the conflict that we have. And so what does Nehemiah tell us? Nehemiah tells us, be honest, first off. It's okay to be honest about the fact that you have emotions or that you're frustrated. The second thing is to take time to consider it, to think about it. Proverbs gives, man, Proverbs is a great space to gain some wisdom on how to navigate life. Proverbs 16.32 says, Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. I love that. He said it is better to take control of your spirit, to calm yourself, than it is to be the person who ravages a city, who goes in guns blazing, sword swinging. He says there's no, there's no great, there's no, there, there's no better, there's no more mighty than the person who will rule his spirit, who will take a second and control before he steps in to that space. Proverbs 12, 18, he says, There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Listen, there is no shortage of verses in Proverbs that talk about controlling the tongue. Why? Listen, our tongue, our words, spoken or typed, can do so many things. They can heal wounds and they can cause wounds. They can bring encouragement and they can tear people down to the ground. The thing that we can't ever do is believe that our words have no weight. Every word we speak, every word we say, every word we type, every word we send carries weight. It carries weight in how it affects that individual and it also carries weight in how it affects and represents you. And so then he continues on. After he's acknowledged his feelings, after he's taken counsel with himself, he goes on to this and says this in verse 7. He said, I held a great assembly against them. And so when he says this, I held a great assembly against them. My version says this. If you have a different version, it may say something different. But this isn't saying that he, he held this assembly to attack the people. What he did is he held this assembly to face it. Face to face. Let's deal with it. Listen, dealing with conflict has to be done in person, face to face. That, and, and all throughout the Bible, the, the Bible continuously kind of brings you back to this point. Matthew, and we'll read Matthew 18 here in just a second, which is one, a, a really good example of, of dealing with church conflict and, and conflict among people. But Nehemiah shows us that the way that you deal with conflict is go to the source of the conflict, the people involved. Don't go to anyone else. Don't complain about it to anyone else. Go straight to those individuals and deal with it. After you've acknowledged how you feel, after you've taken time to consider your words, your thoughts, your actions, enter into that space with those individuals directly. That's the only place at which true uh, resolution can happen. Because what it does is, is this confrontation, it creates a sense of accountability, and not even for the sake of a fight, but the, for, the, 
for the sake of resolve. Matthew 18, 15 through 17 really gives us a great uh, example of how to navigate this. He says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. He says, go straight to that person. You have an issue with somebody or somebody's done something to you? Listen, don't just sit back and complain about it. Don't just sit back and, 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 and allow that to just, just live within your heart and your mind and just tear at you. No, go to that individual. Go to that person. Have a conversation. And listen, I even tell the people who work for me, I'm saying, listen, you can't always control how someone reacts. You can't always control what they're going to say. All you can control is how you enter into a space, the things that you say, and just leave it at that. The hope and prayer is that there's positive reactions and it's, there's resolve. And in 90% of situations, that's how it's going to play out. A lot of times you have conflict with people and those people don't even realize they have conflict with you. Until you go to them and then you bring it up. Hey, this happened. This really bothered me. This affected me in a particular way. A lot of times, you know what that person's going to say? And I, I didn't even realize it. I didn't even realize that this hurt you in this way. I didn't even realize that this caused you that issue. And so always start there. He says, uh, go to, and tell him in Matthew 18, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Then he says, if he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. So he gives us this pattern. Hey, listen, go to him yourself. If he doesn't, if, if just between you and that person, it isn't resolved, hey, bring someone else. I love how there's like this pattern of like, don't just give up on the people that you care about. Don't just give up on the people within the space that you navigate together. Don't just give up easily. He says, go first, then go again, right? Like there's this constant kind of effort of leaning into relationships because the reality is relationships and especially relationships that are founded on some type of activity or doing or accomplishing something together as a group, those relationships can be very difficult. Why? Because people are hard to get along with sometimes, right? Like sometimes it's, it's personalities. Sometimes there's just people like, I just don't like this person, right? Like they make you anxious or they just make you uncomfortable or you just don't like their attitude, like whatever it might be. Like there's always going to be this space when you're trying to accomplish a task together with people that is difficult to navigate. That's just the nature of dealing with people. But the Bible calls us, hey, you know, offer, offer grace and mercy just as you've received grace and mercy, right? Not saying that, that everybody is going to be on that best friend level, but in, as far as, especially within the context of the church, as we're leaning in to a broken world around us, trying to accomplish the task that the Lord has set out for us to accomplish, hey, listen, there's no way we're going to accomplish it unless we're in unity leaning together to try to accomplish, based on the truths of God's word, to accomplish the work that he has for us. 1 Peter 3.11, he says, Let him seek peace and pursue it. So what was the last thing he says to go? He, create, he, he called an assembly with these people. He said, let's deal with it together, face to face, person to person, man to man, woman to woman. And then he continued on and he said this. He said, so I said, he said, the thing that you are doing is not good. He said, Ought you not aren't you not to walk in the fear of our God to prevent the taunts of the nations of our enemies? And I think, I think this verse is so telling. Because he says here, he's very honest. He says, listen, these things that are happening, the selfishness that's just being cultivated, the abuse that's happening, he says, it's not good. He says, 
and, we, and, and shouldn't you as people, and so this is speaking to the Christian faith, shouldn't you as people walk in fear of God? So listen, when the Bible talks about fear of God, it's not talking about a trembling fear. It's talking about a respect, a reaction, a respect and a reaction based off of who God is, based off of what God's done, based off of the love and the care and the grace and mercy that God has given, based off of those things, respect and fear God and live from that, react from that. Treat people from that. Why? Why should we live this way? Why should we act that, this way? He says in this last half of verse 9, he says to prevent the taunts of the nations of our enemies. Listen, he says that our unity and our walking in that space of unity is going to equip us to be prepared not just to fight off the attacks of the enemy, but to fight off the taunts of the enemy. The enemy trying to bring us into conflict. The enemy trying to bring us into conflict with each other, to bring us into conflict with those around us, to bring us into this space where it's hindering our process. There is so many times, even in my own life, that I've seen my own steps be hindered because of my own feeling and attitude towards other people. Listen, it is very easy. I tell our people this all the time. It is very easy to find wrong in people. People are messed up. People are broken. I'm broken. I'm messed up. Listen, if we wanted to, we can nitpick and tear each other down to the bone very easily. But the reality is when God brings us into this space, listen, the thing that I need to to be very clear on, listen, and, and especially when we're navigating relationships and conflict that are based on hurt, there's a huge difference between forgiveness and trust, right? Forgiveness, God tells us to forgive as we've been forgiven. We don't have an option as Christians to not forgive. Now, trust is different. Listen, when you're hurt by somebody, when you're taken advantage of by somebody, abused by somebody, trust is earned. Trust will have to be built back up, depending on the relationship you have with that person and their, their place in your life and how they play into the space at which you're navigating. But the listen, the thing is, if we don't, if we don't navigate that space in forgiveness, forgiving as God has forgiven us, then we will constantly live in this ever kind of churning space of conflict and never be at a place where we can truly take steps forward. Now, like I said, forgiveness and trust are different. Somebody hurts you or backstabs you or does something against you, they need to earn your trust back. You know, in a relationship between a husband and a wife, one side or the other does something wrong, listen, trust takes time. You work on that. You build on that. But that's the beauty of relationships. You lean in together and you see those things grow. And all of this coming from our space and our fear, respect, and all of who the Lord is. Uh, Oswald Chambers said this. He said, the remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. When God, when God is not at the source of everything that we respect and that we are drawn to, then we constantly navigate our life in paranoia about people and, and about our circumstances. If we don't fear God, then we fear everything else. And then he finishes here. And he gives them the final command here. And he says, let us abandon this exacting of interest. Let us abandon this exacting of 
of interest. And what he's saying here is stop requiring a return more than what is owed for your own benefit. And so this is where we see that selfishness and pride playing in and people being taken advantage of. He says, listen, stop doing things just for your own benefit. It's one thing if you're doing something to help someone and you're doing something to see something grow and you're doing something to see people move out of a hard space. You're doing something to see conflict be resolved. But he says, stop doing it to the point at which you're just doing it for your own benefit. Because that's not true resolution. That's not truly fixing the problem. There has to be a mutual respect that we want to see both sides benefit. We want to, at best case scenario, if possible, see both sides benefit. And what requires of that is, you know, the, the pride of man is always looking out for himself and not considering those around him. Pride is the greatest enemy of conflict resolution. When we want to see things get better between individuals or between people. The, the greatest enemy of that is pride. C.S. Lewis said this, he said, A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. As long as we are looking down on people, we'll never have a firm view, a firm perspective on Jesus. We'll never have a firm view on who God is. If we're constantly looking down on people and circumstances and situations, we will never truly see. And that is pride within itself. The greatest enemy of resolution is pride. Pride never allows you to see beyond yourself, your self-interest, your self-protection, your self-growth. And so what is the weapon against pride? The weapon against pride, the opposite of pride, is humility. And a lot of people see humility as weakness, right? And, and to resolve conflict in a relationship, to see growth where there is not unity, where there is brokenness, it takes humility. And a lot of times we see humility as weakness. But I love this quote, and this will be my last quote from C.S. Lewis. He says, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but it's thinking of yourself less. Humility is just taking yourself out of the center of the universe and putting God there. True humility cannot be accomplished unless God is at that space. Because without the Lord, we are always going to lean towards self-preservation. We are always going to lean towards self-glory. We're always going to lean towards self-exaltation, elevating ourselves, making ourselves the center of the universe. If we don't have something to put in the center, we will put ourselves there. And if we put ourselves at the center of the universe, then everyone else is an enemy of our own progress. And so how, to, how do we resolve our issue of pride and gain, gain a perspective of humility? We have to take ourselves out of the center and place God there. Because if we don't, then we will always be there. And when we are at the center, everyone is an enemy of our accomplishments. We will, we will not think twice about stepping on, stepping over, or sidestepping someone to get where we want, to get what we need, to get what makes us happy. Listen, this is, this is why you see uh, abuse in relationships. That's why you see abuses of power. That's why you see all of these things. Because when we place ourselves at the center of the universe, everyone is either an enemy or an item that we use to accomplish our own good and our own glory.
Guys, making a difference requires us to always face conflict head on. Deal with it directly, not just to win the argument, but to see true strides of progress. And spiritual restoration, spiritual restoration will never happen when we are bound by the shackles of unresolved conflict. Listen, we're spiritual beings. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Whether you believe in God or not, we are spiritual beings. And the way I know that, I did, I did end-of-life care for four years. I'm telling you there is no more spiritual experience, Christian or non-Christian, than death and dying. Promise you. And so the reality is, because we are spiritual beings, there has to be a source of that spiritual development, that spiritual growth, that spiritual sustenance. And that's God. And 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 God has given us Jesus Christ to accomplish that and to navigate that space. Church, the, the true unity that, that we need in our life, in our relationships, in the spaces that we navigate can only be accomplished through Jesus as a unifying agent. Because otherwise there's nothing else to unify us. Because like I said, if Christ isn't at the center, then we are. And if we're at the center, there's no, there's no possibility of unity. Because everybody's either an enemy or an item. There is no other way to maintain and sustain true unity separate from Christ. And so I want to encourage you, Nehemiah chapter 5, verses 10 through 15, talk about Nehemiah's life as a leader, how he navigates that space, the characteristics of humility, that he would give of himself. And listen, Nehemiah is not a perfect man. Nehemiah is faulty, just like every single one of you are. You know, we only hear this much of Nehemiah's life, and then Nehemiah would live this much life, and I can guarantee you there was sin, there was struggle, there was lust, there was, there was circumstances of sin all throughout his life as a, as a human being, as a man. But he still gives us these examples of how to navigate life in a way that cultivates unity and fights off conflict. Because we cannot accomplish anything within the context of our life if we are grounded and founded in conflict. Listen, and for a lot of us, I know for me personally, and, and, and the band can go ahead and start coming up, and we're going to prepare to worship this, this morning as we finish up, but for a lot of us, our greatest conflict is a spiritual conflict between us and God. You know, it, it, there's, no, there's no shortage of opportunities to hear about and to know about God. Listen, every single person in this room we live in a town with, and, and I, I say it even jokingly, as we probably were the 36th church to be added to this community. There's no shortage of opportunities to hear. But the thing is, the thing that we've learned about trying to be a ministry that ministers on the ground to people, just navigates the space that they're in, is that most people's conflict is either with God himself or the church. You've been hurt. You've been disappointed. You've been lied to. You've been taken advantage of. You feel like God's absent. You feel like God has left you behind. You feel like God doesn't have a space for you. You feel like God doesn't want you. You feel like there's no good that you could do good enough to get into the space at which God has. Like you think that at that doorway, standing in the way is either a faulty Christian or a faulty God. And listen, I'll speak to the Christian part. Christians are messed up. As a messed up Christian myself, I'll tell you, Christians are broken. We make mistakes. We disappoint. We don't always do things very well, and we're not always a great representation of who Jesus is. But I'll tell you what it doesn't change. It doesn't change who God is. 
God is great. The faithfulness that we sang about this morning, we truly believe. We believe that in all our brokenness and all our mess, the God of the universe still leans down and prepares a table and invites us to it to enjoy the feast of his blessings. He says, come. He says, come. He says, I, I've got it. You know, you're standing at that door believing that there's still a debt, there's still a, a fee that needs to be paid, whether it's by trying to be good enough, trying to take the puzzle and the mess of your life and put it all together and hope that I can create a picture good enough to present to God and say, God, is this good enough? Can I please get in? Can I please enter? Can I please navigate, uh, live in this space that you've created? Listen, so many of us, we, we settle in, and I spent about 20 years of my life believing this, that I can't be good enough. I, 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 I can't. God, you don't want me in that space. Have you seen the mess I've done? Have you seen the, the damage I've caused? Have you seen how I treated this person? Have you seen the, the, this space that I've lived in the privacy of my own space? Like, God, you know, why would you want that? But guys, the God of the universe put on flesh, came to the space we are, in all of our brokenness, in all of our mess, and he says, come. I think one of the greatest examples of this is whenever Jesus is hanging on the cross and he's got two thieves on each side. One thief is just bound up in pride, laughing, mocking Jesus. Hey, are you, you're, you're God, right? Why don't you take yourself off that cross? Listen, the pride of humanity. But then the other one, just broken. He says, listen, he says, I know I've, I deserve to be here. I've made mistakes. I've, I've made mistakes. I've, I've hurt people. I've taken advantage of people. And then his next statement is, will you take me with you? Despite all my mess, despite all my sin, despite all my, my, my lying, all my stealing, all my abuse, take me with you. What did Jesus say? If you know the story, he says, you'll be with me today in paradise. What did he do other than just hang on that cross and say, please save me. I'm a mess. I'm a mess. If we'll just acknowledge, if we'll just acknowledge the need that we don't have it all together, that we don't, we don't have all the solutions, that we're not always perfect, that we're not always great, that we're broken, that we're a mess. Jesus says, I've got a space at the table for you. I've got a space at the table for you. So this is what I'd like us to do. If you don't mind standing with us this morning, I'm going to pray for us. And then we're going to sing and worship together before we finish up this morning. And I just ask you to just take into consideration this morning those things and the way at which the Lord will and wants to work in your life. Listen, maybe you have questions, maybe you have doubts, maybe you have concerns about how that plays out, how that looks, what, what is your part in that puzzle. Listen, ask questions, seek people. You know, there, there are no perfect people, but there are people, spiritual people, that would love to lean into the space where you are and have those conversations. Listen, and in all the brokenness that we navigate, the brokenness of ourselves, the brokenness of the church, the brokenness that we navigate, the God of the universe says, still in all that brokenness, the greatest place that you can be is in my presence. Because in the presence of God, he says, I'll never leave you. He says, I'll never forsake you. I'll never disappoint you. I'll always be faithful. I'll always be true. 
There's nothing else in our life that can give us that promise except for the God of the universe that leans into the space where you are. The difference between every other religion and the Christian faith is every other religion tells you you've got to do this, 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 and this to get to God. Our faith tells us that our God came to us broken, crying, sweating, bleeding, dying for us, but not only dying, living so that we could live, being risen so that we could be risen, so that we can have life with this God. Let's pray together, church. Father, I just thank you so much for this morning. God, I thank you for everyone who's here today. God, I, I just I thank you for our guests. I thank you for our faith family that's here, Lord. I, I thank you for the truths of your word, Lord, that we lean into, Lord, that, that we have so much more to stake our lives on than our own words, our own brokenness, our own mess. So, Father God, I just ask that you would, as we finish up this time together, that you would just encourage and equip us to be the people you've called us to be, to, to lean into the space that you've called us to live in. God, let us have humility this morning as we lay down our brokenness. Lord, and we grab a hold of who you are and what you do, what you can do, and how you can navigate the brokenness of our lives. Lord, uh, Lord, I ask for courage to ask for forgiveness. Lord, and I ask for the courage it takes to take steps of progress. Lord, I pray that if there lies any conflict in any lives, Lord, that, 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 that avenues of resolution would be sought after. Lord, for growth and for development. God, I pray for the cultivation of forgiveness and I pray for the development of trust where those things need to happen. God, we just love you. God, we thank you and praise you. We just ask your blessing over our worship in Jesus' name.